what does he know about coffee? Nothing, but, you know, it was important enough for him to write. So all of a sudden, you know, it goes viral. Now, going viral is, <laughs> is nirvana. <laughs> now, how you do that, I don't know. Welcome to the Blandy Coffee Podcast. All coffee, no sugar. The original podcast dedicated to strip away the buzz, the marketing spin and the hype by getting under the hood and giving you all coffee, no sugar. The only coffee podcast show, motivating you to take action and accelerate your results with your coffee and your business by sharing tools, resources, ideas, reviews and interviews which work on getting you the biggest results by concentrating on the important small things. Now here's your host, Patrizio Blandi. Welcome to the Blandy Coffee Podcast, all coffee, no sugar. I'm your host, Patricia Blandy. I'm also the owner and coffee roaster for Blandy Coffee. Blandycoffee.com is my website, and this is where you can find more information that can help you improve your coffee and improve your coffee experience. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. Only means that you'll be notified automatically when a new episode is available. This is episode 9. In this episode, which is the second part of my three-part interview I had with Ian Bernstein. Before I go into the interview, I would like to summarize about what this part of the interview we talked about. In this episode, we chat about how Ian started Bellaroma Coffee. He talks about how there is so much competition nowadays compared to when he started. We also talk about how he ended up with 1,800 pieces of coffee-related items, how someone in Queensland bought these items off Ian and started a coffee museum in his name. We also chat about how he got inducted into the Coffee Roaster Hall of Fame and how he thought about that. I questioned Ian on a book that he found that was published in 1682 on coffee. I had to clarify if that date was actually correct, we go into about that as well. We also talk about the books he's written on coffee and on tea. And if you would like to read his books, which I will strongly recommend, he's a very knowledgeable man. He's traveled the world and I believe his books will be a very good insight into coffee and into the world of tea. I will put links in my show notes where you can buy the book. So let's dive straight into this interview with Ian Bernstein. Um, yeah, so it all started from all started from there, mm-hmm. um, and um, I, one of the magazines that I saw had an advertisement for a coffee company in Vienna called Otto Swadlow, who was making coffee roasters. They don't exist anymore, and they were in Schönbrunner Strasse. Zweihundert Zipsig, and I wrote to them, and they wrote back and said that somebody in Melbourne has imported three of our coffee roasters, and I wrote to them, um, and they wrote and said there's somebody in Sydney who's bought one, and that was a fellow called Simos Spinopoulos who started Bravo Coffee. He's now dead, uh, Bravo Coffee. He was the first one to start it. So I got a bit of information out of him, and then I went to Reppens Coffee, which is, doesn't exist anymore, but it's now part of um, uh, Harris Coffee. 
And I spoke to the bloke there in charge, George Kepper. And you know, that's where I started. And George said he'd help me. And then in the midst of the discussions with him, um, it was just about the time that espresso coffee was starting to grow in Sydney. And he, I remember he told me a great story. He said, an Italian man came in and wanted to buy a coffee for an espresso machine. No matter what I gave him, it wasn't any good. Nothing was any good. One day, he said, I had a bag of coffee which had been over in the corner for four weeks and it had oil all over the beans. And when I showed it to the Italian man, he said, that's it, that's what I want. You see, because the Italians at that time, was Italy was had been poor after World War II mm. and they were... The Italian roasters were telling the the customers that when the coffee had oil on it, the flavour had developed, right which on. was bullshit, <laughs> merda, total bullshit. But he believed it, so that when he saw the oil, that's it, that's it. So oh, I'm just telling you, it's an interesting story, you know, about yeah. coffee in the early days. There weren't, well, when I started in 1968, there weren't too many coffee roasters around. Andronicus was around. Andronicus had a big, um, I think it was 60 kilo or 120 kilo pro, uh, probate, or was it a got probate down in uh, George Street North. Old man Andronicus had a chocolate shop. This was the father of George and Charles. Uh, he made, and they roasted a small amount of coffee down there, and then they got into it in a big way, and that was the start of Andronicus coffee. You, in 1968, you started a... I started racing just up the road here in uh, Willoughby North. And that was Bellaroma? That was Bellaroma. And how long were you in Bellaroma for? Um, I was in Bellaroma from 1968, probably till about 2005, something like that, 10 years ago, 37 years. Yeah, we, and we turned, I turned it into a big company. What was the hardest thing about the industry? like being Competition. The, the, look... The hardest thing, as you well know, the hardest thing is when you start and you're small and you haven't got a lot of money and when to get customers you have to buy an espresso machine and give it to them for nothing, <laughs> you can very quickly run out of money. So, you know, I, I think that's probably still a problem today, you fighting with companies that give espresso machines oh, away. Giving away. Eh? They're giving away. It's like um, giving away hotcakes, really. I actually encountered a customer who's selling, what, three kilos a week. He had a free coffee machine and grinder, only with three kilos of coffee. Well, obviously that's that's a total that's a total retail value of about eighty dollars. So four thousand dollars a week a year yeah. is his turnover or purchases, yeah. and out of that four thousand dollars, the roaster has to make enough money to pay for the espresso machine and the grinder, which must be close to four thousand. So it's so taking years before he, he actually yeah. So it's yeah, so th- that was probably the hardest bit, you know, to face that sort of competition. Um, and uh, But it's become much worse. I'm sure it's now much worse than it was then. Um, and Oh, there's a lot more roasters now. There's yeah, roasters coming out of every corner. Yeah. And, and um, a lot of cafes roasting their own coffee yeah. as well. Uh, there are, I see a lot of people that are really into the coffee. They... They fall into the trap of going with a, a coffee roaster that has that supplies them a coffee machine. So they will say, I'm a, "I've got my own machine," and they go on the search of what they think is good for their for their customers. Well, 
Um, look, outside of the machine I've shown you downstairs, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure if you watch me there for two minutes, you could say, oh, I can operate this machine. Right? It looked easy. Well, I'm sure it is. You just look through the window and, and you look at the colour it came out and say, oh, that came out at 210 or 211 degrees. The next time I race, when it gets to 211, I'll drop it out. I mean, what can be harder than that? Yeah, I, that's to, to address this problem of training people to roast coffee because they don't know what they're doing. Or they do know what they're doing, but they haven't got any confidence. That's another problem. And I think roasting coffee, I don't think there's a real defined way to say the right way or a wrong way. I think there's well, the, your way, what you like. No, there, there, sorry, there, there's some fundamentals in there. That's right, fundamentals. The, the fundamentals are roast the coffee slowly at the beginning so that the heat gets to the centre of the bean. Right? That's the object, to get the centre roasted the same colour as the outside. And you can only do that if the coffee's roasted slowly or in an air roaster. Right. Because in an air roaster, the beans are surrounded by hot air. Yep. So you get a totally much, much better heat transfer coefficient. Um, once you get, once the beans are uh, hot inside, then you can increase the temperature to roast them up past pyrolysis. And then it's just a matter of watching them get the colour, turning the heat down because otherwise they'll change colour too quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it. Now, they're the basics. Now... I'm yet, I mean, I've been looking and I can't find any proof that you make a much better coffee by increasing the heat in the middle or the end or lowering it. I just, it's all personal. That's right. It's all your personal uh, design. And and that's what I believe is like, you make your coffee like an artist. You make the coffee to where you like it. Then people follow you, they follow to what you like. But it's, it's down to the taste as well. If people sure. buy the coffee, they don't like it, you can mm-hmm. bullshit as much as you want. But if you make a good cup of coffee, and some people will go, that's yuck, I don't like that, that's fair enough. And some people will say, yes, that's Listen, something I like, you know. Yeah, but you see, it, see, a lot of this comes down to the first impression. Right? If they like you at first impression, yeah. they'll like your coffee. I mean... It's like in a coffee shop, if the barista or the waitress you know, gives you a big smile, hello, how are you? Yep. You'll like just about anything she puts down. If she, <laughs> if she, or she gives you a like. scowl, right, you know, it says something nasty to you when you come in, yeah. you're going to hate it. Yeah, even so, if the coffee's good, you just, yeah. But so, you know, you see, again, you know, my, I've given a lot of thought to this. My conclusion is that most people can't tell whether the coffee's good or bad, but... It's the ambience. That's a that, big part. That's ambience the ambience. Yeah. If you've got bad coffee and good ambience, people will keep coming back. That's if right. you've got bad coffee and bad ambience, they won't. And if you've got good coffee and good ambience, they'll keep coming. So it's the good ambience that's the most important thing. I mean, people say to me, you know, what, what's the most important thing in a coffee shop? get a waitress with good knockers or a very handsome barista, I mean, the customers will come. And it's about being good customer service. You well, know, of course. Not well, being that's, rude. And... That's, that's why it's... That's why that's... I think that's even more important than anything else, you know. Yeah. For today's a, a, a day and age as well, where sure. there's not many people talking to each other, where you, you go to, say, your local cafe and, sure. hi, how are you, Ian? How you doing? Yeah. You know, how's your yeah. day? Yeah. There's a bit of so chat. So much depends on personality. And I think that's a big 
yeah. a big draw card. From Bella Roma, you well, sold that off, or no? Well, I sold that off about ten years ago. I mean, I'm now seventy-six, gonna, and it was fairly obvious. I've got three daughters; they weren't going to go into the business. So, what was the point in battling on? You know, it wasn't running a business is not actually an enjoyable thing. I'm much happier writing books and doing that sort mm-hmm. of thing, doing research, than I am running a business. Um, that's all right. I mean, you know, it, to each his own. You know, um, did, you, did a, you pull it? Did you put it for sale, or did someone approach you? No, or? somebody approached somebody approached me. And but you know, if you're um, yeah, if you're if you're happy to uh, if you're a megalomaniac, then running a business is great. You know, if you want to have your lights lights <laughs> on and you know down the you know the the Arc de Triomphe in Paris or something, you know, that's a great. But and if making money is you know, if you're obsessed with making money, then that's another thing. But, you know, I was neither obsessed with making money nor mm-hmm. making it in life. It was much more yep. than, okay? And uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, you you collected a few items in your time. Yes, well, I, well that was another... <laughs> well, I had a lot of fun. You see, that, you know, I combined fun and enjoyment. So I collected about 1,800 coffee antiques. I've seen that. So, very, very... Um, I think very sought after, very rare items. Oh yeah, well, I I had the first of everything, the first espresso machine that was ever made in eighteen thirty eight or something like that. Or the first siphon machine, eighteen thirty nine. You know, all the very first of everything, first electric percolator. Um, but I collected patented items. It was not just collect anything. I mean, mm-hmm. if I if I give you enough money, you can collect two thousand. Coffee pots today, none of them worth looking at twice. But if they had the patent mark underneath, that was important. Where did you store all these items when you... Well, I ended up having to hire rent a factory in Hornsby and it was costing me $500 a week. So after a few years of that, I said, enough, get rid of it. I mean, you know, it was, I didn't actually get up every morning and hug them one by one or something, <laughs> you know. So it, I wasn't emotionally attached to it. It would have been beautiful to have, but yeah, well, you better sort of draw a line somewhere. It's, well, yeah, it's, you know, it became insane. Yeah. So I got rid of it. I, I think some people in Queensland... Queen, yeah, Mariba. Mariba, is it? Yeah. They, they yeah. actually have a, a coffee museum, is it? They, yes, they've got the coffee museum. They've actually got a coffee business there where they roast coffee and serve cups of coffee. And The museum's named after you, isn't it? Don't I, think the I think so, might be. There was a book that you sought after a book. I'm not sure what. Let me just have a look. There was a book that you you treasured. It was a 19. I don't even know the day if this is accurate. At 1682. Yes. Some bastard stole it. It's either on my shelves and I can't find it, or some bastard stole it from me here. I had it in my library. Well, a book in 1960... 1682. 1682. Yeah. Was there... I don't think there was ink back then, was there? Of course there was. I'll, I'll take you back to my library shortly and wow, show you. that's amazing. How did you... Where, where did you find that book? Must Probably in Paris or a new treatise about coffee, tea, and chocolate by Sylvester Dufour. 
That was the name of the book. Right. And I've actually got it here in, in written in Latin, the same book, translate, translated. I saw that. I've actually done a bit of research and I looked at that and I go, no, nah, that can't be right. That must have been 1882 or something like that. But um, no, no. I go, better, better question if that was right. So it is right. Obviously, after Bellarama, after you sold that, is that where you started making your like your coffee roasters? No, I'd been making coffee roasters before that. Mm -hmm. um, I I made several coffee inventions, none of which have been successful mm -hmm. commercially. Mm -hmm. That's why I advise you be very careful, be spoilers when I. I think it's extremely difficult today, if not nearly impossible, that the giants have got all the money, and they've got. Um, They've got the money to make the internet work for them, to make the press work for them. You haven't got that money. You can, get, you can make a terrific product, but if you can't convince somebody to buy it, you're dead. That's right. They can convince somebody to buy yeah. it. So, Marketing is a big part of it. Well, it is the big part. I, I thought coming up with an idea was the hardest part. No. I've got a million ideas in my head, and uh, I think the, the hardest thing is getting it to the market and, oh, and it, getting people to... It, it could be the best thing that you got there. Yeah, absolutely. But absolute, if you don't show people and number of people, absolute, never, you never Absolutely go. correct. Yeah, it's a very, very hard, I think. Yeah. And and I think that was a big learning curve. I think it's much easier now to bring something out. There's a lot of um, websites now. Uh, it's called Kickstarter. Yes, I know, but... That can help you. You can invest can, a little bit of money. But test the market, you know, it, it's a... They can, they can never give you... They can never give you a million dollars. If you said, I've got a terrific product, I want a million dollars for marketing, you'd get nobody. Uh, I don't know whether you watch the, the program Shark Tank. Shark Tank, it, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's always the same. You see, none of these people have sufficient money to get their That's product right. to the market. That's right. And the big fellas won't buy it. Right? I mean, it's very rare... Look, I remember years ago they used to say that places like um, Colgate, Palmolive and uh, very big markets in America, they would get 100 product managers per year to bring a new product, but only one out of the 100 ever succeeded That's and right. they spent millions. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, off the top of my head I find it very difficult. Yeah. And... I think one good thing about those websites, Kickstarter, it gives you a, a, a sort of a feel. If you put a product on there and say, this is what I have to offer, and the people actually putting money to a product that okay. they don't have, but it, it gives yeah. you a feel to see whether people want it, and, and you don't have to invest too much in it. Like, you can get well, the concepts and designs. But the people who put money into it are, are basically ignorant of what's going on in the marketplace. It appeals to them emotionally. You know? So decisions made emotionally are never very good decisions. It's just terribly... I don't know how to solve this problem because I haven't been able to solve the problem for myself. I invented that coffee machine, that coffee mug that we made with yep. the filter. Yep. Yeah? Now, it works. There's no doubt about that. It saves 35% on coffee. You make a cup of coffee in 30 seconds. It's got everything going for it yep. and it failed. Why did it fail? Because I wasn't prepared to spend a million dollars on advertising and hype and still fail. That's right. right? That's so, a big risk. And, and once upon a time, we used to be able to rely on the press, right? but the press is now being bought. Okay? 
So practically right. all the columnists are tied to one coffee brand or another. I won't mention them, but you know there are certain brands I'll that. that. I eh? that myself. Yes, good. Well, it's a fact. So I see a lot of coffee companies actually winning awards to a specific um, newspaper company, and they're all the same yeah, yeah, coffee company. All that sort of stuff. I mean, it's just terribly difficult. It's called astroturfing. Does that mean anything to you? Astroturf is fake ground, right? In other words, it's not the real grass, it's yeah. fake. So people invent fake grounds for doing things from <laughs> fake consumers to write in and say that it's a terrific product. And there are people out there who are stupid enough to believe it. And it becomes a famous product. I mean, what does George Clooney know about coffee? You know, what are you going to do? resuscitate Marilyn Monroe? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think I can afford anyone. So, anything. yeah, so that's right. The other thing I found was um, you were inducted in the Coffee Roaster Hall of Fame. Yeah. In 2012. How was that? I don't know. Somebody, somebody wanted to make an award. Actually, a very good company in South Australia who make... Um, a special cleaner for cleaning espresso. Cafeto or something. Hey? Is that right? Cafeto? Is it Cafeto? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That they they wanted to make the award and they decided that was it, you know. So I was the first recipient. It was their choice. You know? How did you feel about that? Oh, I felt very proud. You know, it's you don't often get acknowledgement for anything. So I mean, I just wrote to somebody in England who's a, an English coffee expert, and he just wrote back and said, "What an honour that you've written to me." He said, "Me? You know, I'm just an ordinary bloke, you know, but he's an expert in the field too. Yeah. So you know, feels good to to know that you're recognised." Yeah. So I'm not obsessed about that. I think it's a, a tick in the box. That's right. Sure. Well, and and it's. It, it, I think you've been in the industry long enough, and you've done a lot for sure. coffee. Well. Whether I have or not, that's up for them. That's for them to judge. You know, I mean, I'm talking to you. Does is it going to make any difference to my life? No. Mm-hmm. Is it going to make any difference to yours? Maybe. And if it does, good. It is a little perk I have with the podcasting. Um, sure. I think because I put myself out there. I had a few people approach me where if I didn't do the podcasting. That wouldn't have happened, sure. and, and it's a little perk meeting you. And, sure, um, so, I, would well, ne- I would have never met you if sure. I. Well, every yeah, you see, you never know which iron in the fire is going to work, mm-hmm. and so there's an expression: you make your own luck, and you make your own luck by having as many irons in the fire as you can, because the more you do it, the more chances are you're going to succeed the more you are going to find that somebody somebody writes and says, I had this terrific cup of coffee and it was made by this lunatic. Everyone says, who? What? You know, this bloke's a famous singer, you know. What does he know about coffee? Nothing, but, you know, it was important enough for him to write. So all of a sudden, you know, it goes viral. Now, going viral is, <laughs> is nirvana. Thing. Now, how you do that, I don't know. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the second part of my interview with Ian Bernstein. If you find this podcast helpful, please leave a review on iTunes so you can help many more people just like yourself to find this podcast so that they can improve their experience and improve their coffee as well. Visit LandyCoffee.com to find more information on how you can improve your coffee and your coffee experience. 
Bye from me and see you in the next episode. Enjoy your coffee. Thank you for listening to the Blandy Coffee Podcast. All coffee, no sugar. Subscribe on iTunes to get the latest episode. Visit blandycoffee.com to get links and resources mentioned in this episode. And download the PDF which contains a full transcription of the episode. Enjoy your coffee and bye for now.